It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The minute you lay your eyes on the all-new Toyota Tundra Capstone, you'll know it was made to make a statement. With its 22-inch dark chrome alloy wheels made for turning heads. Carefully crafted two-tone leather trim seats made for pulling up in style. 12-speaker JBL Premium Audio made for turning up. Plus, power running boards made for stepping out on the town. The all-new Tundra Capstone, made to make a statement. Toyota, let's go places. JBL is a registered trademark of Harman International Industries, Inc. fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Wire Sports Podcasting Network. This episode of Bulls HQ is brought to you by Roman. Thank you to them for sponsoring the show and thank you for joining me on this episode of the show. Apologies that Bulls HQ has been on a mini hiatus over the last week or so. I I just needed a break, Bulls fans, because we've just been talking about the same old stuff and I didn't want to be coming onto the podcast and just whining about uh, losses upon losses and lo and behold as, as I take my, my week off the Bulls go on a little bit of a mining winning streak they win two in a row obviously have lost three since then and just fittingly the, the day I decide to come back is obviously when they continue to lose so I haven't necessarily escaped the losses but that's fine because I think the Bulls have been playing a little better of late and I wanted to talk about the team now that I'm back and I wanted to talk about this team specifically with this man because his boy is humming along here. He is C-Red Fred. He is the the leader of the C-Red Nation, but he's also Denzel Valentine's biggest fan. Uh, probably a bigger fan of Denzel Valentine than probably Valentine's own mother, I'd imagine. But he joins me now. Fred, how are you, mate? Mark, it's always good to talk to you, brother. I'm, I, I'm doing all right. I mean, obviously, uh, anyone who loves the Chicago Bulls as much as I do can't be a hundred percent right now uh at a very dark time for our franchise and its history but uh you know even valentine i've had so many people tonight text me tweet me reach out to me aren't you happy fred this is a great night for you you were right you were right i'm like i'm not happy i'm i'm freaking furious i like i want the bulls to win and we had this moron running this team who honestly felt for the past month and a half, that there were better answers than Gafford and Valentine for the rotation. When you look and see how Denzel Valentine got in the rotation, it took a miracle. We were getting blown out on a Friday night by Miami at home. Denzel comes in in the last five minutes. He hits three three-pointers in the final three minutes. Miami has to reinsert their starters. 
And yet this this dumb jackass still didn't play him in the next game. I mean, I don't want Denzel to play to prove me right. I want him to play because I think he can help the Bulls win. I think Gafford can help the Bulls win. You know, I'm just so sick of of losing. And uh, I, I, I don't even know what to say, Mark. Sometimes I just get so angry that I just, you know, stare at the wall for like 20 minutes. Does the wall say anything back to you in those moments? Or? <laughs> yeah. not, not really. There's no? too many holes in it for me punching the drywall. Honestly, I've, I've put holes in the drywall, drywall watching Bulls games. Now, I had to stop that after I got married, but, uh, you know, it, 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 I do feel like punching the drywall. I just get so angry watching this team. It's so infuriating. Look, look at tonight. You know, like, that's how we end the game with Zach Levine just, you know, driving and diving into a guy hoping for a foul. It's Zach had a great ending at, at, at Charlotte, but, my gosh, the end of the Golden State game. You got to be smarter than that. You're down by two. You don't waste the clock to 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 close with a three. You have to give your your team an opportunity to get a rebound. The game was tied. Completely understand. You're down by two. Just just basketball IQ is lacking for this team from so many players. It's it's nauseating. It is. It is. But I don't think it's necessarily something new and unfounded. I guess we this was always going to be a problem for the team in terms of them not necessarily having a real go-to closer in that fourth quarter period, particularly in tight games. And Zach Levine obviously defaults into that because he's probably the best option the Bulls have in terms of he's really the only one that can create anything off the bounce in those key moments. So naturally, he sort of just takes over at that point. And not to mention, I guess the franchise has sort of labeled him as one of their foundational pieces. So there is some politics in it all. And obviously, Zach is going to have the ball in his hands in those moments. So I guess that plays its part in it as well. But Weirdly, over the last three games, despite them being losses, particularly the last two against two really good teams in the Heat and the Raptors, I I understand that the team sort of failed to close this one out. They gave up an eight-point lead against the Raptors. We just got done watching that Raptors game. And funnily enough, it, it was behind Gafford and Denzel Valentine, two players who weren't even weren't even in the rotation a few weeks ago who were leading this Bulls team in the fourth quarter. But I don't know. I think the Bulls have been playing better over the last couple of weeks. They're two and five over the last few weeks. So that's not obviously, sorry, they're two and three over the last five games, I believe. So that's not a great record, obviously, but I think they've been playing a lot better, which maybe is kind of ironic for me to be saying that. But I think their their effort in these last two games against the Heat, against the Raptors, even though they've failed in the clutch like they have throughout the whole season, really. I've liked the effort. I've liked the performance over the team over a 48-minute period, more so than I've liked any of their performances in any of the wins, really. So it's a weird it's a weird dichotomy in the sense that the Bulls remain pretty bad. They're 8-17 right now. They still can't execute in late-game situations. That comes down to coaching. It comes down to roster management. It comes down to asking too much of too little in terms of players. But I don't know. I, weirdly, I, I, I'm I'm somewhat impressed. Maybe impressed is being too strong with it, but I, I've at least enjoyed the last last couple of games because the team has at least played full 48 minutes. I mean, go back a few weeks, and this this probably was a, a 20 point win to the Miami Heat. It would have been a 20 point win to the Toronto Raptors. But the Bulls are starting to play somewhat better. It's probably too late now, but I don't know. I'm slightly encouraged. Am I am I being stupid for being somewhat encouraged by it all? Not not at all about the last two games. I mean, obviously, losing at Miami is nothing in overtime. Is Miami's a good team. Yeah. Not a good team losing at home. But the, just a game before that, you're at home yeah. <laughs> after a two-game winning streak against Golden State. 
Yeah, that's bad. Win that game. That's an embarrassment, and that's a, that's a disgrace. They beat Memphis. They beat Sacramento. Those were two, you know, good wins. And I know Memphis was under under man. Sacramento was under man. I always hear that. Nobody ever talks about how the Bulls are missing Porter and Hutch. You know, like at the same position. That's it. We're we're still under man too. So we've gone through that plenty over the last few years. But you look, we lost to the Portland Trailer Blazers in Portland. I thought that was a good game for the Bulls. I thought they played pretty well in that game. But then again, you go back ahead of that at Golden State, horrific effort. Losing to Portland at home was a terrible game. Uh, they played awful in that game. Um, and then I think going back, I can't recall who. I think it might have been Charlotte or Miami who they played right before that. I do agree with you. They look better the last two games against quality teams. But overall, this team is far too inconsistent. And uh, it's just it's just such a disaster and a disappointment. The only thing I, I could compare it to in my memory was the 07-08 season where, you know, the Bulls drafted Noah that year. There were a lot of high expectations for a team that in 06-07 got to the second round and took the Pistons at six games. And it was just a, a disaster after that. But that team was, I think, won 37, 38 games. It wasn't terrible. This team's terrible, you know, uh, for a lot, for, for a lot, large portion of the season. And they've lost a lot of games they should have won. I find it more frustrating, more disappointing overall. No, I mean I certainly get that over the the entire span of the season for sure. Being eight and seventeen at this point uh, in over your first twenty five games, despite having the second easiest schedule in the league thus far, I think that is just obviously that that's horrendous. I mean, there's no we shouldn't underscore that. Uh, the Bulls have been terrible, so that is definitely fair across the first twenty five games of the season. I I don't think otherwise, but I think just the last couple games in particular, this has probably been the best they've played all season. Yeah, you 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 are right. I I don't know how you can sort of sort of create or produce these performances against the the Heat and the Raptors, two quality teams in the East, but then somehow find a way to lose to the Warriors twice this season. That's kind of just. It's a head scratcher. I don't know how that happens, but obviously it has happened. But yeah, it's just a, it's just a whole, it's just a mess, I guess. Like one thing starts to go right, and then two things go wrong. It, lately, it seems like Lowry has been sort of getting back to some sort of form that we yes. sort of saw last season. I mean, he wasn't great against the Raptors tonight, but he's been better in December. Zach. Again, not great against the Raptors tonight. Well, he was in the first half. He had 20 points, five rebounds, five assists in the first half. Finished with 20 points in this game. So clearly couldn't get his shot going in the second half. But before this game, I thought he's been pretty good. Obviously, we can talk about Levine's sort of decision-making and his playmaking in those clutch situations. But I think he's been good the last 10 games. So there's been some positives. But by and large, yeah, this has been a disappointing season, clearly. But... I don't know. What, what do you make of the Bulls' clutch sort of performance in the end? And, and do they really have any alternatives but going to Levine in those sort of those closing moments as we've sort of seen against the Heat, as we've sort of seen against the Hornets, and obviously tonight against the Raptors? Obviously, Levine isn't a noted good decision maker, but do the Bulls have any other alternative situation that they could really exploit at this point? Yeah, Denzel Valentine. <laughs> any reasonable ones. Any reasonable ones. <laughs> I know everybody's going to laugh. Denzel makes good decisions. He can handle the ball. He's a great passer and he can shoot. There's, I, I Like, he's the only other guy on the team I would really say, hey, let's clear out. Let's see what he can do. Now, I know people are, are laughing hysterically listening to this, but I, I'm 100% serious. I trust Denzel Valentine when he has the ball. I, for the most part, trust Zach Levine when he has the ball. 
uh, Sato to some degree, although he's disappointed me. You know, take a step back. I want to get back to a previous point. You know this team has really uh, been a disappointment. When you go player by player on the roster, I recently did this exercise with a friend. And and let's let's do it really quick right now, Mark. Uh, disappointment or better than expected or as expected. Run through each player in his team. Zach Levine. I thought he played better earlier last year. I'm disappointed overall in his performance. I know he's had some really nice moments. Would you say he's been slightly a, a slight disappointment? I would say so. Yeah, I think he's been really good over his last 10 games, but over the body of the season, he started really poorly. So yeah, I would say, particularly with those all-star uh, dreams and hopes in mind, he's, he probably has been a disappointment this season. Wendell Carter Jr., we both love. I love him too. He's been a disappointment. Like I, I don't know how you come into this season after seeing where the league is going and not spend every day shooting three-point shots. He's shooting 13% from three. Like, it's not even – I know this is partly on on the coaching staff, but it's also a little bit on him. He's still he, – no doubt the officials put him in horrible positions and his teammates put him in horrible positions. He still has a lot of dumb fouls. He's still not aggressive enough on the offensive end. There's a lot of problems with Wendell Carter Jr. Overall, I'd say he's about what I expected, but he's not surpassing expectations. Do you concur? Yeah, I th- I've been watching, watching uh, Wendell's body language of late, and it's not positive. And there was a report earlier in The Athletic today that obviously Jim Boylan isn't much of a fan, well, not a fan favorite, a player favorite in the locker room at the moment. And I don't know, if you just watch the body language of Wendell in particular, he looks un- angry, he looks frustrated, and, and that could be with a whole range of people, obviously his teammates, but also probably the coaching too. But to your point, yeah, I'm probably a little bit disappointed with Wendell. I, I had, had high hopes for him. I think he started well. He's probably come down a little bit. But Agreed. yeah, I was expecting a little bit more, but at the same time, uh, it's tough for Wendell because I think the Bulls are not using him correctly at all. They're, they're miscasting him in a role that doesn't make sense for him. He's not a rim-rolling big, so... I think part of it is on Wendell, but part of it is on the system, the way he's being used, and just the team being a, a complete mess. Now, I'm not going to waste everyone's time going through every player, but if you go Sato, Otto Porter, Thaddeus Young, Chandler Hutchinson, Ryan A, especially with his poor play the last eight games, Luke Cornett, almost every guy in this roster has been a massive disappointment. Yeah. From from a from a, a small disappointment to a massive disappointment. The only guys I, I I'd say are probably been surpassed their expectations has been Chris Dunn and Kobe White. And even Kobe White has either been incredibly good or incredibly bad. Another horrible night tonight where, you know, I don't know if you've seen this with him, which is I guess expected of a nineteen year old, but he's either like oh for seven or oh for eight or three for twelve, or he's you know just playing like an all-star it's like there's really no middle ground with him but uh, white and dunn are like the only two guys on the team uh, and I'm, I'm giving gafford and valentine incompletes because they've hardly played that i really say have either played to their expectations or surpassed them yeah i think that's certainly fair and i mean I, i'm not really happy with the way kobe white is being coached at the moment i understand that I've a lot of fans are happy with Kobe White's performance performance thus far this season, and like to your, like you've said to your point, I mean when he's on, he's pretty damn fun to watch. But there's been a lot of games, a damn lot of games when he's been bad against the Raptors tonight. Zero from seven from the field, eight rebounds, five assists. So he did find a way to impact the game in other areas of of the game, which is something he hasn't necessarily been doing in the past. But zero points. 
a lot of that comes down with having too much of a too much of a free reign on offense, which I think is problematic for a 19-year-old guard who's not a point guard, very much just comes in and just jacks up whatever shot he wants, which I guess the second unit does need to a degree, but I feel like Boylan's got too much of a, a longer leash on, on Kobe White, which is which is kind of ridiculous to the point where he can sort of bench Zach Levine for making three consecutive bad defensive mistakes, but then is allowing Kobe White to play 30 plus minutes in games when he's going out there and making consecutive bad offensive decisions in a row. I, I don't understand that logic as well, but yeah, Kobe's hot and, hot and cold at the, at the moment. It's not surprising, but I would like to see Boylan maybe coach him up a little bit more in the sense that he's allowing White to get away with too much. And Boylan's entire reason for coming on as coach was to get rid of the bad habits that were created supposedly under Fred Hoiberg. But I see a lot of bad habits being, uh, or a lot of a lot of bad habits creeping into Kobe White's game in terms of how he goes about his offense. He's a straight gunner at this point. He probably always will be, but he takes some damn bad shots. Agreed 100%. And you're right. That's on coaching and development. None of these guys have developed. Laurie Markin has taken a step back in year three. It's a complete reflection on the coaching staff. There's just so many inexcusable moments in this young season. I mean, I just read that in the Miami game, Boylan tried to take a timeout with seven seconds left in regulation in a close game. Can you imagine when, when they had zero timeouts? Can you imagine if the refs actually made the correct call and gave him a technical? I mean, that is the height of stupidity. Uh, and, you know, it, it could go on and on from keeping uh, Gafford and Valentine out of the rotation, from playing his favorites too much. I don't really want to get into who those are, but I think we all know who they are. And and, and he has like, a, you know, just a, he, he gives some guys great breath in, in screwing up and other guys the quick hook. He plays favorites and, and players hate that. Players hate two things. They hate uncertainty, like not knowing their roles, and they hate a guy who's a liar. Uh, who's not telling the truth. And, and you know, I don't want to say he's a liar. He's just not, con- I guess you could make that argument. He's just not consistent in what he says. I've never yanked guys, and then he's pulling Levine. Um, he's all over the place. Who, who knows what, what this guy wants? And it, it, he's just not, he's not a leader of men. He's not someone who inspires confidence. His, his post-game uh, pressers are an embarrassment. You look at a team like Miami, and you see how they're coached, and you look at the Bulls, and, I'd I'd argue the Bulls would be at least 500 with a coach like Spolstra. Or what about Rick Carlisle, Mark? What do you think the Bulls' record would be if Rick Carlisle was the head coach of of this team? Yeah, look, this is something I want to get into more because I I want to talk about this because obviously coaching is an issue for the Bulls, but so is the roster in itself as well. And that's not to say I don't think the players on this roster are talented or could be better than what they are. They certainly could be maximized. We went through some of the list before in terms of whether there have been disappointments or not. But I think it's fair to say, like you sort of pointed out, most players on this roster have been a disappointment. But how much of that is on coaching? How much is that on the roster itself? How much is it on the players? I I don't know how to weight all that at the moment, which is probably, that's really the dilemma of this season, given that we're in year three of the rebuild and we still don't know what the ceiling of these players are. Now, some people may be listening to this and May they may claim that they have a fair idea of it, but the way Larry Markin has been playing this season is no way that we expected him to be playing this season. We all expected more from Wendell Carter. Otto Porter has barely barely played. That trade isn't looking very good right now. Zach Levine has taken a back step, as we sort of said said before. But how much is that on the players? How much is that on coaching? How much is that on scheme? How much is them being 
them being miscast in the wrong roles, all that sort of stuff. That's that's really the problem at heart of this season in, in the sense that this was meant to be a year about taking a step forward and it just feels like the Bulls are, keep, are continually regressing at this point. I, I disagree a lot, though. With I know we're starting to go in the direction of blaming the roster construction, and I just refuse to agree with that. I, I It was only 60 days ago that all of us were celebrating from Doggabill Nation to Sea Red Nation about the signing of Thomas uh, Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young, and oh my gosh, look what they've done. Kobe White, everybody's patting themselves on the back. I just refuse to acknowledge or, or believe that, oh my God, the roster was a big mistake. It's not. I, th- we're not getting the most out of our players. Um, yeah. That's the j- the number one job of the head coach. You see what you have. You build a system around the players. What the Bulls have done is basically said, we're running this. This is what we're going to do. We're going to run this offense. And Wendell Carter Jr. is a fantastic passer. How long have they – they never use him in the high post. His, his job basically on the offensive end is to set picks and rebound. Uh, so you're not getting the most out of Wendell Carter Jr. I don't even want to talk about Denzel Valentine. He did absolutely nothing to use his talents. You look at every player in this team – Every guy, for the most part, uh, Lori Markinen has just ba- basically been relegated to a three-point shooter. They have no really sets, as far as I can tell, at getting Lori Markinen off and getting opportunities. It's a communist offense where every guy's treated equally, and every guy's got an opportunity to score from three-point range down to the, you know, or attack the rim. That's great for some guys, but it's not great for guys that need to have set plays to get them the ball. I don't think the Bulls take advantage of player skills like Laurie Mark and especially Wendell Cutter Jr., those two guys specifically. It's a good it's a it's a really good offense for Zach Levine or perimeter players. But I also believe that you got to look at what you have and build an offense around that or at least have certain sets that you can go to. Um and that's that's out the window now. So you know that's the bed they've made. Um you know we went with this dope as a head coach and, and that's where we're going. But I do feel that if Rick Carlisle was coaching this team we'd be 500 or better. And things would look a lot lighter. Yeah, I mean, I, look, I certainly agree. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not suggesting coaching isn't an issue. I think that is clearly one of the biggest issues. And I do think if they were running a more conservative brand of defense, even in spite of this offense being so bad at times, I think they would probably be closer to 500. I don't know if they would be fi- at 500, but they could be maybe 11 and 13, 11 and 14, or whatever, whatever the the um whatever the the ledger would be at this point. I think they'd certainly be closer to a 500 record. But uh, I think there are some roster flaws in the same sense that whilst I think there are talented players here, I think that we're asking too much of Zach Levine at the moment. We're asking too much of Larry Mark, and obviously that has been, or that that ask has obviously grown even more with Otto Porter out for most of the season. So that in itself is is a bit of an issue because the, the team just doesn't have any wings on this roster or not enough wings on this roster to the oh, point where they're running four guard lineups or whatever the hell they're doing. So I, I do think the roster, whilst it has some intriguing pieces on it, it's still a flawed roster in the sense that it's asking the wrong players to do the wrong things. And even then, that it doesn't have the depth that we probably thought it should. See, again, this is a common drumbeat all year about the Bulls don't have enough wings. And again, I'm going to disagree vociferously. Otto <laughs> Porter Jr., Chandler Hutchinson, and Denzel Valentine. Like That's the, three for it. You can't have 15 guys on the roster that are all wings. You look at every team in the East. This is the nature of basketball. Wings are difficult to find. Let's look at the Bucks. You want to hear the wings on the Bucks? Wesley Matthews, uh, uh, 
gosh, Connington, Dante DiVincenzo, Corver, Chris Middleton, Sterling Brown, uh, Dragon Bender. I think that's it. Maybe I'm missing. I got to look it up. That's it. Like, they don't have six wings on the roster. The Bulls have three guys that are more than adequate to play the wing position in the NBA. The problem with this team is our jackass coach decided to bench Denzel Valentine for the first 40 days. And now tonight, like like nights like tonight, we see, oh, wait, wait, I guess this guy can play basketball. I guess he can hit the three and pass and rebound and set up other players for excellence. It's not the problem that we don't have enough wings. We have a coach that doesn't utilize the talent. He'd prefer to go small and play his favorite son, Ryan A., who shot 21% over the last eight games. And, and, and get out, man. It's a great story. We all love Ryan A. He's not big enough, strong enough, fast enough to play in the NBA for an extended periods of time. It's been exposed by now. He's shooting his, his shot is down to 32. What was he shooting from three? Uh, let me look it up right now. He's down to, oh, he's 40%. It's still pretty good for the season, but he's, he's not, he's again, 21% for the last eight games. That's a big swath of the season. He doesn't shoot it enough. He doesn't put pressure on the defense. He's played far too many minutes. End of story. Uh, Denzel Valentine's averaging 9.8 minutes. Ryan's averaging 16. That's ridiculous. So the wings, the lack of wings on this team isn't isn't a true. It's not true. It's that's the case for every team. You, tell me a team that has four great wings. Name it. Well, I mean, it was just firstly, it's very, very easy to get you going on a tangent. I'm pretty proud of myself for getting you fired up there. <laughs> just mention the lack of wings and off you go about Denzel. But I mean, we just got done playing the Raptors and the Heat teams that, I mean, the Heat found two wings that were killing the Bulls yesterday, uh, who were rookies, Kendrick Nunn and Tyler Hero, who just made three after three after three in overtime. They added those two players to, to players like Jimmy Butler and the, the wings that they already had on their roster. So the, the Heat are an example of a team that found wings all of a sudden. I mean, you can throw in Duncan yeah. Robinson there or whatever his name is, the three-point shooter that the Heat have. So they've got five or six wings. The Bulls, for whatever reason, decided up and loaded up on five wings. A player like Shaq Harrison or even Archie Diakono, as, as much as I love Archie Diakono, one of those guys shouldn't be on the roster, and one of them should be a wing. That, that, there's no debating that, Fred. But uh, well, yeah, look, yeah, but but you got Sato, who's six seven, who can slide. But he's not a wing. He's a, he's a guard. He's not a wing. Yeah, we're really now we're defining positions here in a, in a league that's basically positionless. Sato's as much of a three as Tyler Hero is. That's a fact. They both can play the same position, except you know Tyler Hero is. is just kicked our ass yesterday and Sato's been up and down, but they're both can play the three equally well on the defensive end, which is where it matters. Tyler Hero's not a great defender. He's not like a guy to worry about stopping your, your other three. I, I just, I, I completely disagree with this narrative that the bulls needed to sign David Nawaba and every other available three <laughs> in, in, in the, in the, in the league that that's, you know, barely hanging on a roster. We had three fine ones, two of them are hurt. And it looks like it's going to be tough for any team. Fair enough. I mean, agree to disagree, but uh, I think we would be much better with David Waba. But before we continue to argue about the wing position, David Waba, all of that, let's take a break quickly here to tell the listeners about this week's sponsor. Talking about erectile dysfunction isn't easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I've lost my mojo, or we just avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry honey, I'm just not feeling it. 
But with Roman, it is easy to talk about it with a real doctor who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. The doctor will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with the doctor and take care of it. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's getroman.com slash bluewire for a free visit to get started. Again, that's getroman.com slash bluewire. All right, back to the podcast now. We can probably move on from the wing rotation. We're not going to agree with that, but do you want to talk about your boy Denzel? I mean, we haven't we've we've complained about him not playing, but um, uh, but and that sort of thing. But he actually was pretty damn good in this Raptors game, along with Daniel Gafford. Those two off the bench. I don't know if this is even a game without them, but those two were pretty damn good in this game. Denzel, as much as I like to poke fun at Valentine, I like to do it one because. Well, definitely because of you, because of your irrational confidence of Denzel Valentine, but even himself. I mean, he's out there flexing his guns after forcing a jump ball and then proceeding to get absolutely waxed in the jump ball. He's just a funny player in that sense, Denzel. But I do admit that he does bring some value to this team, even though he does some things that I do think are dumb sometimes. But from a catch and shoot perspective, he obviously adds value to this roster, something this team has needed from the jump. But do you want to wax poetic here for at least one minute Fred about how good your boy was maybe not in not only in this Raptors game but maybe over the last sort of five to ten games I'm giving you that give giving you that floor well, I mean he's three for four from three against Golden uh, against Golden State he's three for four against Miami two for five against Memphis two for five against Sacramento in a league that demands good three-point shooting he should have been playing all season on a team that couldn't hit the broadside of a barn from three for the first month and a half. It's like every three-pointer he makes is a further condemnation of our idiot coach. Let's go back a month, Mark, and let's look at uh, one month ago when Casey Johnson asked, why is Denzel not in rotation? And what's, what's Dopey's answer? Because I said so. Because he needs more seasoning. All that jackass had to say was, like an adult or any good communicator say, you know, Denzel came off a serious ankle surgery about a year ago, and I just feel that he's not not ready yet to play. Uh, all I ask is that he keeps he keeps ready. I believe in Denzel. I think he's a great young kid. I think he's a leader on this team. He plays hard. When he gets the opportunity, he can shoot. There's a lot of value in what he does. I just think he needs a little bit more time before he's ready to play. That's all he had to say. Instead, he wants to take the hard-ass angle because I said so. Like, what a jackass. That's not what an adult does. That's not that's not how you treat a player who's, by all accounts, respected in the locker room, by all accounts who every kid on that team looked up to as a leader. And how do you treat him? By giving some kind of, like, third-grade Bobby Knight routine? Pound sand, jackass. I lost that coach on that night. Like, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. I know Jim's a nice guy to the fans. There's a lot of nice good things about Jim. That's not how you treat one of your players. That's a massive mistake to treat a player like Denzel Valentine who worked his rear end off to get back from a very serious, potentially career-ending career ending ankle surgery. You don't act like 
uh, you know, some, some, uh, I don't even want to get some, some uh, lobotomized version of Bobby Knight with, cause I said so. What a jerk. What a jerk. And you know, it's true, Mark, you know, it's true. I, it, can you imagine? And then, and then he's waxing poetic about Ryan A. Oh, he's, he's a hell of a player. Ever since he called him a hell of a player, he's shooting 21% from the field. Every guy in that basketball gym, everybody knows players like that. Everybody knows the coaches' favorites who hustle a lot, who are just good enough for you to lose by 10 points. Every guy who's ever played basketball knows players like that. Let me, let me clean the, let me clean the floor with my, with my jersey. Yeah, that's great. You can't, you can't do anything when it matters. Nobody pays attention to you when you're on the court. That's the problem. When Denzel Valentine's on the court, people have to listen. He's like uh, well, EF Hutton. When P- when EF Hutton talks, people listen. You remember that old commercial? Well, no, when Denzel what, Valentine's what on the that? court, people pay attention. <laughs> you don't remember that commercial? Everybody Google it. It may that. not have run in Australia. We're, we're, we've got different broadcasting here. So. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I ever caught that commercial, but I take your point. And I somewhat agree. I, I don't necessarily agree to the full extent, but yes, I, I, I understand what you're saying. And the the mismanagement of Denzel Valentine has been an odd situation throughout throughout this season. It's it's been weird. It's it probably has been undeserved, but it is what it is, I guess. He's now he he's now getting minutes. It'll be interesting to see if he's if he continues to get minutes once Porter is back, once Chandler Hutchinson is back, those sorts of things. That'll be a an interesting situation. But it'll only add a, a further dynamic to Jim Boylan's rotations because I don't know what this man is doing from the sense that. I think it was the Heat game, if I'm not mis- not I'm not mistaken. But we, he, he used his full 12 plays in the first half against the Heat the other night. He's been running 10-man rotations or 10 players have been stepping on the court in first quarters, which is almost unseen from NBA coaches. I mean, the, the Heat had a number of injuries. They still had options on the bench the other day. But I think Sapolstra stuck with a nine-man rotation despite needing some uh, bench reinforcements and, and getting some minutes in for his starters. But we've got our coach out here running 10-man units in the first freaking quarter with a, to the point where he's got all, ben, all bench units coming in with three minutes left to go, despite the Heat still having someone like Jimmy Butler on the court. Why, why are you doing that? You're basically giving up points at that point. Uh, he's just an odd, odd man. And then not only that, like, as a basketball player, you want some type of idea where you are in a rotation. You have, yeah. have no idea. We have no. no idea. Hey, Denzel, that's what makes Denzel's performance over the past two weeks even more amazing. You know, he scored, like, I, the last three minutes I mentioned in the Miami game, three or three in the last four minutes. He doesn't play the next night. Then the following night, let's play him 15 minutes. Then he plays five. Then he plays nine, 11. It's, like, all over the place. It's amazing that none of these players have any idea if they're playing or not. And I, I just about... You know, I almost lost it when this guy had the, the, the gall to play Luke Cornett the other night. Yeah, that, that's why they had 12 men on the floor because for whatever reason, he put Cornett on, out and then in the first half because Wendell Carter, for whatever reason, didn't play many minutes in that first court, in that first half. Daniel Gafford picked up three quick fouls. Instead of going back to Carter, he went to Luke Cornett for whatever hell reasons and, and quickly Cornett was a minus seven or whatever he was in that heat game and didn't come back on. So, I mean, credit to Boylan for not putting Cornett back in, but why the hell even put him in at all? It's, it's I, I, ridiculous. It, it's amazing. How, how, what does Cornett have to do? Like his, his basketball so far, 120 minutes as a ball, has been so bad. Like he literally could have in the first minute of play taken a dump on the court and, you know, literally pulled down his pants, taking a dump on the court. <laughs> I, I think Boylan would have played him again. 
Like most <laughs> normal people, if that would have happened, you would have said, you're not going to play for my team ever again, right? Wouldn't you do that? I think Boylan would have given him another chance. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's more compassionate than you. But I mean, I, I jokingly <laughs> tweeted this out during this Raptors game as well, that Boylan was going to play his subs or his bench unit far too many minutes in this fourth quarter to the point where they'll play the first six or seven minutes of the quarter. And then for whatever reason, he'll throw out his starters back in in a, in a giant heap of sorts and, and get them out in the last couple of minutes to close the game as if they're going to be fresh and and um, have any energy in their legs after being sitting sitting on the bench for over ten minutes of game action, but probably closer to half an hour of actual actual time, really. And that again, unsurprisingly, happened against the Raptors here to the point where now I understand Valentine and Gafford are playing well. You want to leave them out on there, and the second unit, I guess, as a collective, is playing well. So I get the impetus of keeping them on the floor, but. When you do that and you have them running out most of the fourth quarter and then you sort of go to Markin or you go to Levine at that point and, and you try running your offense through guys that have been sitting on the bench for how long? Let's call it half an hour of actual time. Yes. It's pretty damn hard for any player, let alone flawed players who probably shouldn't be cast in as being primary creators, to all of a sudden just come back in and just take over the game and try to beat a really good defensive team like the Raptors in, in the closing moments of the game. So I do have some sympathy for players like Mark and, and Zach Levine, particularly in those clutch moments that, I mean, Zach Levine had it going in that first half. He scored 20 points, like I mentioned before, at, at, at the half. He was 0 from 6 or whatever it was in, 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 the, in the second half. But is that all surprising given he sits for, well, the, the bulk of the fourth quarter and then he's basically told to come in in the, in the last couple of minutes to save the Bulls and to close the game? I, I mean, that's completely unfair too. Very difficult. Yeah, but you lose your rhythm. You lose your yeah. exactly. I mean, I, it, it, this is one of the tough things. Like, I, there are some times like where, uh, Boylan is kind of sided with playing guys that are playing well a little longer. I always side on that. Like the hot hand, somebody's playing well, you, sh- you should keep him in. But he doesn't do that for everybody. Valentine was three or four shooting from three against Golden State. He came out. He's not coming back in. It's like you have to have an otherworldly le- effort for him to play for some guys. And then other guys, he'll, he'll keep him in longer. He'll give him a longer. Like he played uh, Ryan A, you know, an entire quarter. I can't remember what game that was to close a game. Like, come on, dude. Like, who, who are you kidding? Come on. He's not that good. You know, like even, even, even if he's having a decent game, it's like some guys, he'll, he'll, he's just all over the place. It depends on who you are for you to earn. a. a I almost died that he kept it. He kept Valentine in to close this game. I was shocked because you know, he didn't want to do that. Well, he probably only did that because Chris Dunn was in somewhat of a, foul situation he had well how many fouls did Chris Dunn he had five fouls he only played 15 minutes in this game and that's coming after a heat game where he was really very good against the heat his defense was really good he failed out in that game but Chris Dunn picked up some dumb fouls in this one against the Raptors so his hand was somewhat tied in that sense that Valentine was hot he had to leave him out there Kobe White like we said before wasn't shooting well in this game so there was really no justification for putting Dunn or White back in Archie Diakono barely played in this game so he almost had to go to Denzel Valentine, but I mean, Denzel deserved to be out there. He deserved to play most of that fourth quarter, which is kind of funny to say, given that Denzel only played 13, uh, sorry, 11 total minutes in the first 17 games of the season, then to be playing the final 12 minutes of the game. I mean, that is an oddity in itself, but Denzel deserved to be out, out there. But I guess I'm more referring to the fact that he just leaves his five-man units in there long enough to, or too long together. I mean, you leave Gafford out there, leave Denzel Valentine if you want. 
if someone like Kobe White isn't necessarily playing that well, there's no reason to play him five or six minutes in the fourth quarter. If or if Sadoransky's not playing that well, Sadoransky was good in this Raptors game, but it, it, you know, just as a random example, if he's not playing that well, but then the entire unit that he's part of is performing well, then you can still sub out one or two guys and make it, maybe blend your starters back into it and get them some some rhythm and some more minutes in that fourth quarter. But for whatever reason, he keeps his minutes low for his players and. Yeah, it's it's just it's just weird. I I've I like like I said from the top, I took a week off in part because I didn't want to be talking about the same old things, and those same old things for me are Boylan's rotations, his decision making as coach, this scheme defensively. I still think is problematic, even though it's technically or quote unquote at least better than what we expected. So. I don't know. He's just, he's still doing my head in at this point. But moving on from Boylan, well, I, I, well, to- I did I did want to say one thing. So in the fourth okay. quarter, I finally saw this. I, I thought about this a lot in the summer. I didn't really share my feelings on it. But Sato, uh, at one point, he had Sato, Valentine, Levine, Laurie, and then he had Gafford because Wendell Carter had followed out. But in my head, I had thought about, you know, four very good three point shooters surrounding Wendell Carter. You know, and, and, and kind of working offense out of there. That's the first time I saw it all year. It's like, why why is it game twenty five and we're seeing uh you know him finally put out his best four three point shooters, you know, around a center. And actually it worked pretty well, I thought, with Gafford, because you're spreading the floor so much and he's a rim runner. Uh there just were a couple poor passes that could end it in some really highlight dunks. But uh it, it, it just the, the idea that it's, we're a quarter of the season and it, this is the first time I've seen it all year is so maddening. I don't even know what to say. Yeah, I certainly understand that. But uh, I mean, moving on from Boylan, but I mean, what, what happens from here on out, Fred? Because the team is 8 and 17. They've got two winnable games coming up in the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks have been worse than the Bulls this season. They've been decimated by injury. Well, not just injury, but also obviously John Collins with that PED infraction that's good caused him to miss 25 games. That's tanked their season. So the Bulls have got the Hawks coming up on Wednesday. They then have a game against the the Charlotte Hornets on Friday. Now, obviously, the Hornets have had the Bulls number to a degree. Obviously, it took the, a miraculous shot from Zach Levine to beat them, but they, the Bulls could very be looking at being 0-2 against the Hornets right now. But they get a chance for to, to, to beat the Hornets on their home floor on Friday night before closing the week out against the Clippers. So I, I'm expecting at least a win against... The Hawks. I don't know what's going to happen against the Hornets, given how the previous two games have gone previously. But then you've got the Clippers, which I think we can write in as a as a definite loss at this point. But what happens if the Bulls maybe go, you know, one and two over the next three? They end up being nine and nineteen, something like that. What what, what do we do? What happens? Is is Jim Boylan still the coach as we sort of head into the new year? Do Paxson, Foreman, Collins, ownership, whoever the hell it is, do they make any decision on the team moving forward from a coaching standpoint? Do they start thinking about trading players? What the hell do you think? Well, what do you think they do and what do you think they should do? Yeah, so this is a great, great question right now because, you know, I've been firmly in the camp of let's make the playoffs, get that eighth playoff seed. And if you look at it right now, Mark, the eighth playoff seed right now, the eighth seed is held by the Orlando Magic who lost to the Bucks tonight. Here's Orlando's schedule until they play the Bulls on 12-23, two days before Christmas. They play the Lakers, the Rockets, at Pelicans, at Jazz, at Nuggets, at Trailblazers, and then the Bulls. I say Orlando could probably win one of those next games, maybe two. 
before they play the Bulls. So the teams ahead of them, the East is such a tire fire. The Bulls still easily could get that eighth spot. My question is, and I've been kind of debating this internally with a couple of friends, do we really want that? I think we may be better off just calling this a tire fire this season and, and getting a lottery pick and hopefully really winning big there. And then going into next year with another lottery pick. And I think we have a core that under a good coach is enough to contend very quickly. I still believe Wendell Carter Jr. I still believe in Larry Markin, and uh, I don't believe he's a top 10 player anymore, but I still think under another coach, he can't succeed. You know, Zach Levine's a, a kind of a question mark, but he's on a very tradable co- contract. I think maybe, you know, maybe he's best as a six man off the, off the coming off the, or I, I don't know, you know, it's hard to say with Levine because he's so alternatively brilliant and sometimes just maddening. Uh, and then Kobe White, I think those four guys are, pretty good team you had another high-end lottery pick there you could do a lot with that and I think in it could end up being that you know kind of like Sam Sam Hinkie that a couple of these draft picks will be uh you know bear fruit for another executive team because I do feel like if this keeps on going south and the Bulls don't make the playoffs I think I'm almost I can almost guarantee that you know John will probably resign yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually thinking today, just for whatever, I'm always thinking about the Bulls, unfortunately. Even in these dire times, they're always infiltrating my mind. But I was I was thinking about this today in terms of what the best outcome for this season would be. And now if the team was to continue to be playing pretty, you know, average basketball, players were not really taking the leaps that we expected, but the East is that bad that the Bulls somehow find a way to sneak in as the eighth seed, maybe win 36 games get in as an eight seed because the East is so damn bad, but you know, technically they they hit their goal of making the playoffs only to then be smashed by Giannis in the box. I I don't know if that really is a good outcome for this season. Now not maybe that would be different if they were playing well and players were showing signs of growth, but if that's not happening, then getting into the playoffs and getting killed by the box only to then be awarded with the fifteenth pick, that would be probably the worst case scenario for the team at this point. Whereas Agreed. Maybe if you you end up with the tenth worst record in the league or the ninth worst worst record or whatever it might be, maybe you can get some lottery luck. And obviously the Bulls haven't had that over the last couple of years, but maybe it, maybe that changes fortunes coming up, and maybe they can bounce up from nine or ten or eight and ten or whatever it might be up to, up into the top four or five. That that would be ideal or or something of that nature. I think that is probably the the best outcome for the team going forward because. I don't think the playoffs, even if they can get there, it's going to end in misery pretty quickly. And I don't want to see this team just get absolutely sweeped and destroyed by Giannis and the Bucs as, as much as it would be fun to see my uh, my Greek brother and Giannis doing things in the playoffs. I don't want to be on the other side of it. So I, I don't know what the positive outcome for this season is at the moment other than maybe getting rid of Boylan and then maybe ownership showing showing some sign of, of some signs that they do care and maybe changing things in in the front office because at some point there has to be some changes there has to be at some point but no I, I I don't know if that's going to happen but I think that's what the fan base needs to see at this point because in this Raptors game Fred there was less than 15,000 people at this game at the United Center in a, in a, in a facility that can hold over 20,000 so less than 75 percent fill. Fans aren't starting to turn up, which I'm very pleased to see. I think that's the the kind of measure we need to see, and I definitely am not rooting for losses openly because I don't. I don't. I'm not thinking about this season being a tanking season, but 
I think in the very short term, the Bulls sort of racking up some losses here, fans not showing up to the, not showing up to the games. Whilst that may be an indictment on the season, and whilst I still believe in these players, I almost feel like that would be the best outcome for the team in terms of driving change. Because to your point, I think there is still some players on this roster that you can at least maximize or at least get the best out of, even if that's to make them, you know, better positive trade assets, if nothing else. But I, I almost want to see the carnage continue to a degree because I want there to be some sort of force change that drives someone like the Reinsdorfs to make a change and and that and hopefully that comes because the fan base is sort of checking out at this point, which is pretty clear is happening. Yeah, they're still averaging more fans than Milwaukee is. So I, I, I never bought this. Like I know people are not don't go to the games. I just I, I, I don't agree with that. Like, you know, I have I have I have kids, you know, th- th- these are great experiences going to Bulls games. I know a lot of people that work for Chicago Bulls that are in the ticketing office. They're people that are you know, just a security working the, the beer. I don't want, I, I don't, I don't buy that. It's a, that's a stupid Sox fan mentality. Don't go, don't go. What pound sand I'll do. I, I'll go if I want to, and you can stay home if you don't want to go. But there, the, the experience of going to a bulls game and taking your kids is a great experience. And don't tell me to stay home just because, you know, you want change. I don't necessarily agree with all that. I still feel, I know a lot of people are going to roll their eyes here. I like the pick of Wendell Carter Jr. at seven. I was very happy they didn't trade up for Mo Bamba. I like the pick of uh, Kobe White now. I think that was a good pick at seven. I also like the pick of Laurie Markkinen. I agreed with a lot of decisions that this the front office made. The one fireable decision is hiring this dope as head coach. Like that is an, uh, a serious, serious mistake. And I respect John Paxson as a talent eva- talent evaluator, but you can't make that you can't turn the young uh, the young players on this team over to this guy, and and ha- not have ramifications for it. I, I heard you you know go on about Gar and oh, you, you gotta come. I disagree with that. Gar's tied to Tim Floyd. Gar came in with Tim Floyd. Gar is tied to the the biggest disaster in Bulls history where we turned our back on Michael Jordan, handed it over to Jerry Krause, and went through pure hell. What we're going through now in the last three seasons doesn't compare to what I went through from 98, uh, uh, 98, 99, 2000, 2001 until PAX arrived. That was hell. That was going to the games and watching, you know, bums miss shoot 30% in warmups. That was a disaster I will never forget. And I, I do feel like there's enough talent in this team for it to be better. So I understand people saying, hey, we need to go in another direction. I completely understand that. I agree with it. But I don't feel like this team is without talent or without hope. I think we have far more talent. It, our, our record is not commensurate with talent, to put it simply. No, I, I agree with that. And I'm certainly not advocating this, you know, that there is no talent here or the team needs to be blown up or, or Larry Markkinen is just a, just a bad player now, all that sort of stuff. I don't agree with those hot takes at all. So I'm not suggesting that. But what I'm saying is, there needs to be something more visible. There needs to be something more shocking for it for dr- change to be driven. Because 
without that, I don't think there will be anything, any change. And unfortunately, that means someone like Boylan can just remain as coach, which I do think is problematic. And to your point, tying yourself to a player, or sorry, to a coach like Boylan is just a horrific, horrific decision by Paxson. So I think that's what more so I'm saying. And I'm not, I'm, I'm certainly not suggesting fans should boycott each to their own. If you want to take your kids to a, a, a Bulls basketball game from, from an entertainment standpoint, then then I'm more than happy for people to do that. I, I'm not saying that you know people are cowards for going to the games or anything like that. People should be able to make their own decisions, but it does seem like the fan, the fan base is starting to check out to a degree, which I think is probably the lone thing that may drive some change here to the point where I'm almost wanting that to continue. I guess that's all I'm saying. No, no, you, you, you make a lot of good points. And I do buy, I also too, at some point, I, I think John Paxson's a great guy and, and being old enough to remember how John Paxson was revered. We talked about this on a Chicago bullseye with, with uh, big Dave and, and, and where we remember how this guy was treated in Chicago when he basically helped win, you know, two titles, for, uh, two out of three titles. He had big parts and shooting us in uh, game six, uh, excuse me, game five against the Lakers to win that game. And obviously the big shot against the Suns in 93 I mean, this guy was as, as big as almost anyone in the city as far as being his reputation. Everybody loved John Paxson, and he was a color guy for the, those horrible years under Kraus, and initially he turned it around pretty quick, and, you know, people were really in his corner, and now he's despised. It's like at some point you got to say, I don't need this. You know, I, I don't understand. That's what I don't get is like uh, – you know, why he wouldn't resign if this is another poor year. Maybe he's just such so much of a competitor that he does want to turn it around. But uh, I do feel it's unfair, a lot of the uh, negatives on him. Now, Gar, again, is a different guy. And uh, and when you – I think you made the argument, well, if they fired him, it's not going to change anything. And I disagree with that. He Again, he's tied to Floyd. He's tied to that horrible era. And if you break cl- clear of that, you know, but then again, you, you do bring up a good point. From everything I hear, Pax, Boylan's Pax guy. That's an, almost an unforgivable sin. It is. It is. It, it most definitely is. But uh, look, we've gone on long enough. There's something telling me that these themes will remain uh, throughout the season. I don't know if there's change coming anytime soon, but it'll be interesting to see itself sort of play out over the uh, over the coming weeks and months, particularly as we head in towards the new year. But uh, Fred, I appreciate you joining me on this episode of Bulls HQ. I've, like I said, I've t- I took a week off, but I'm glad to be back now and, and very glad to have you on the, my my return show. But I'm also looking forward to you. I, I believe you're making your Bulls Outsiders return, if I'm not mistaken, this weekend. Is that true? Yeah, it's Saturday. After wow. the game. And appointment and TV. I can't, I can't wait for you to be on I, I can't wait to see what questions, intercontinental <laughs> questions come across the, the wire. Uh, in fact, I was hoping that we could limit it to the continental United States uh, uh, for, for this show, but I'm sure that won't happen from our mutual f- uh, friend Bulldog. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, for the one, uh, this is the first time I've ever shared a stage with Peck and, uh, and Dave. I never, a uh, big Dave, I never had a chance to do that during the tryout. So I'm looking forward to uh, uh, talking with them. I know Sparks will probably fly between me, but I'm, I'm, I'm in agreement with Peck a lot more now these days. And, so I, and I've always been in, in lockstep with Big Dave. So um, I don't think it will be as contentious as other ones have been. But yeah, I'm looking forward to it. It's, it's going to be at the United Center now. Out oh, of the, really? Not, not at the comfy uh, green room. We're actually doing it at the United Center, which I'm a little concerned about. 
uh, to be accidentally hit by uh, a wayward, you know, hot Denzel dog. Valentine three. Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. Denzel. <laughs> well, I, I very much look forward to seeing you on the broadcast. That'll be appointment viewing for me for, for content reasons mostly, but uh, I will definitely be watching <laughs> in. I, I appreciate you coming on to this, this podcast here, Fred, and um, people can follow you online at CBE, Fred. Obviously, they can tune into your podcast, Chicago Bullseye and Big Red Bus as well, but uh, thank you for coming on, mate. No problem, brother. I, I will say, I did have visions. I, I knew about this before the season started, and in my head, I was saying to myself, the Bulls are like 14 and 7 or, you know, like 15 and 7, for this game, I was actually thinking about wearing a full profit gear, like <laughs> Moses. <laughs> didn't work out. Didn't, didn't work, out. work out. No, you didn't. You didn't foresee that one, unfortunately. But um, yeah, you, you've <laughs> you've missed a few. But um, maybe one day you'll get something right. Thanks. Thanks a lot, brother. We'll talk to you again soon, man. <laughs> no worries, Fred. We'll speak soon. But that's, that's, that just about does it for this episode of Bulls HQ. Bulls fans, thank you for tuning into this one. Hopefully, there's a few wins coming up around the corner with the games against the Hawks and the Hornets. There should be an opportunity for the Bulls to, to get a couple wins back here, hopefully. And hopefully, they can play some smart, decent basketball and we can... Uh, we can just get away from talking about the same old tired stuff as we always typically do. So that would be nice for myself, but probably for your ears as well. But thank you for tuning into this episode of Bulls HQ. We'll be back again next week to wrap up the weekend's lot of games, but appreciate you hanging in there as I took my week off. But uh, thank you for tuning in. Speak soon, Bulls fans. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.